Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Tired of the 9 to 5? Tired of only dreaming about the things you want to do? Want to have more time for your family? More time for you? More time for you? This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we interview qualified guests in the real estate industry all across Canada. We want you to live life on your terms, and we want to help you break through to that life through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Now your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. As usual, Sandy McKay is here with me. Good morning, Sandy. Morning, Rob. I, I, I'm trying to like lean in. We had microphone problems earlier and uh, mine was buzzing. So I'm using the old MacBook speaker or uh, sorry, uh, microphone. And I'm trying to lean in. But if anyone's watching this from home, like they're going to be blinded by like a red bald head. That's so I don't know. I got to get I got to find like the perfect medium spot to to, to sit here. And well, our listeners, still our, our, our listeners know that it's, it's always been our sound and our, and our quality has <laughs> attracted everyone, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. They, they know if they want quality audio, this is number one home of quality audio. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but they can, you know, if they can suffer through it, they can listen to uh, all of the episodes that we've done over at our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. They can also sign up for our free gift. A free gift. And by the way, if they go to the first episodes, I think we have improved quite a bit on the, on the sound. So it's not too much. I don't know. Here in it's a, I, I think it's a toss up. <laughs> well, over on our website, breakthroughrampodcast.ca, you can get our gift, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. Of course, everyone knows you sign up for that. You also get access to everything else we got going on. Never miss a beat on our show, events, uh, property tours, all that fun stuff. Spring's kind of in the air here, and I think you're doing some property tours now, Rob. Is that right? Yeah, we're, we're reintegrating the Peterborough property tours. So um, we've just done one so far since we've sort of gotten back in the swing of things after, you know, uh, well, everyone knows what happened over the last two years, but we're getting back into the swing of things and then doing our in-person property tours again. So um you'll yeah if you sign up for the for the list you will definitely get updates on when we're doing those but they're really helpful we're doing like secondary suites and uh, student rentals in peterborough area and uh i mean if you've heard me talk about them before i think that that's just like a super sweet spot as far as student rentals go because they've got a process where they'll allow up to 10 bedrooms in a single family home uh in like r1 zoning so it's a really, really good strategy. I think that, I mean, property permitting will allow you to really, really uh, um, make use of uh, uh, the space. Cool there, but that sounds like, which is a rarity in Southern Ontario these days. Well, I mean, I know if you try to do something like that in Oshawa, especially around like Durham, um, uh, Durham College, 
they've got rules against it. They've, they've tried to like sort of, you know, take away from the small landlords there. They've got like a four room cap. The houses in that area are very expensive. So when you look at this as an alternative, it's, it's really attractive. Well, what's, um, let me ask you one quick question before we get sure. into our, uh, our interview. Because uh, one thing that, that I always consider when I'm looking at student rent, not necessarily student rentals, definitely Airbnbs, things like that, where the regulations can, can, can change quite a bit over time. Um, and I think that's very city by city type of a thing, right? And I, I, I'm speaking about this because Hamilton, we had a, our guest on um, uh, Charles, what? in the last few episodes that we talked about Airbnbs and Airbnb arbitrage. And uh, it was like the day next day that actually in Hamilton, they changed up all the rules around Airbnbs. And, and in a month or two here, they're going to have a lot less Airbnbs because they, you have to get licenses and it's all these regulations that were not there for the previous, previous few years. What's Peterborough like for that type of stuff is, you know, 10 bedrooms sounds amazing today. Is, is that something that's sustainable most likely? Uh, from all, all well, I mean, and again, it's really tough to find a property that permits 10 bedrooms. Right. Um, well, even I, I think, six, uh, yeah, I think like in general, you know, six to seven is probably more doable in most of the properties that we would see. Right. It's pretty, it's a rarity to find something that, especially when parents are going to come walking through with their kids and like, if you've got little closets for bedrooms for people, then, you know, you're not going to rent them either. So, um, but I'd say like six, seven, maybe eight is usually uh, where we would be, but they haven't moved the bar. Not at all. Like, I mean, the regulations have stayed the same since they implemented them. So will they change them? I don't know. Like, you know, anything can city, happen, though, I they're, guess. They're, they're pretty open for business by the sounds of it as a city. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they want to, they, they, they need the housing for the students. So. That's sort of the main focus. Uh, a nice breath of fresh air, I find. In southern Ontario, there's lots that are not really open for business. They're, they're yeah. more getting in the way of business rather than helping support uh, some smaller landlords, at least. So that's cool. Um, interesting market to be involved in, for sure. What else and we what, got? Well, I don't know. What do you got going on? <laughs> Uh, well, we've been running our Vaughn Investors Club. I should plug that just briefly. Yeah. Um, we've been running that for the last two months. We've had great turnouts. Um, we'll be three months in, actually, by the time we air this episode. Um, so anyone in the GTA that, uh, that would like to come learn, hang out, and, uh, and really get connected with some great people, then I encourage you to check it out, VaughnInvestorsClub.com, and you will be able to see all of our upcoming in-person events that we're hosting. We just launched our membership uh, club. So we've got some, some members there that we've got them on some private WhatsApp groups and things like that, where they can just you know, really connect and move things forward and, and build their power team, which is a, a big, a big thing for people starting out, especially. And um, got some great events coming up. So we're excited about that. And we're not really investing in Vaughn much. <laughs> so anyone coming out there, you know, we're, we're talking about cities like Peterborough, like Hamilton, maybe Oshawa, Barrie, a lot of the secondary markets. And um, I think we're going to touch on that a little bit in our interview today, actually. Uh, well, isn't that what they say? They say in, invest in, in, uh, in places you don't want to live, I guess, so you can afford to live where you do want to live. There you go. Good advice for, the, for a lot of people, at least. That's for sure. That's pretty much it. VaughnInvestorsClub.com. If, uh, if I didn't say that, go check it out. Very good. All right. Well, we've got a great uh, guest here waiting today, and uh, let's get into the interview. Absolutely. We've got Cody Smith standing by, and uh, Cody is uh, someone I, I know well, got to know well over the last couple of years, um, working together uh, with each other at uh, McKay Realtors Network. And uh, prior to becoming a, a realtor, Cody had a successful career in building a local construction company. Uh, he's this encompassed uh, marketing, construction, and management of residential construction. Over the last couple of years, he's been building his realtor career with me here at MRN. He's also started purchasing investment properties, actively working with joint venture partners, and he's also launched his own podcast, Endgame Investing, which we'll hear about here today. And uh, lots more exciting stuff. He's coming to us from the Niagara region, and we are uh, eager to learn and uh, hear what he's been up to uh, with his investing career. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Long time, uh, long time listener. I want to say first time uh, guest. I yeah, think they're supposed to say that, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's true though. I mean, I've listened to you guys for a couple of years now, and uh, 
yeah, I mean, don't worry about the sound quality. There's a ton more value in there than, than just sound quality alone. And honestly, I've always wanted to be a guest on the show. And then when I got asked, I, uh, I was nervous and excited. So yeah, honestly, happy to be on. Cool. Yeah, Very good. Well, yeah, I appreciate you coming. Yeah, yeah we're excited to learn uh, learn about what you've up to. So, uh, give us give us a bit of background. How did you get started in real estate, uh, real estate investing, and uh, what's your what's your kind of backstory? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I guess we'll pick it up. So, I mean, I bought my first house right out of university. Um, I was working three jobs through university, trying to. When I got out of school, I was able to buy my first property. Um, had no clue what I was doing for real estate investing. Uh, didn't know what I should buy, what I should, I just knew I wanted to buy a house. Um, so went, looked around, I live in Niagara, specifically St. Catharines. I was looking in places like Wellands, Thorold, St. Catharines, Niagara Falls. Um, ended up buying this, uh, dump of a house, had a crawl space, bad location, uh, needed a ton of work and it was sitting on a big lot. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I bought the house on the intention as well. You know, I'll live there for five, 10 years, tear it down, build semis, live in one. And then, you know, I can retire happily at 35. I was very naive and had uh, very rose colored glasses at that point, especially at 25 when he had no clue what I was doing. Um, yeah. So long story short, end up living in that house. Like I said, two bedroom, one bath. Uh, so when you're renovating a house like that, while you're living in it, you have no bathroom. It, it's tough. It's very tough. You renovate the kitchen. The kitchen was basically half the house square footage. So it was really tight, but uh, made it work. Did, did a lot of the renovations myself and ended up selling that property four years after buying it and uh, took that money. Ended up going out, buying a, a duplex in Hamilton, actually, and uh, fully renovated that. That was an off-market property and flipped that. Wasn't planning to, to actually sell it, but kept that property and... Uh, yeah, I think we ended up making 380000 off that property alone. And uh, yeah, got into some JVs, got into uh, bigger, bigger multifamilies, like six units. And yeah, the rest is kind of uh, history. And that's where I am today. So that's how, kind of how I got started. So Very tell, good. Tell, tell us how you made uh, that much money on that one flip. That's a, <laughs> that's a nice, that's a nice number there. It's, a, it's an attractive flip for sure. <laughs> you, you kind of threw that yeah. in there, like you know, it's just a little, little, just like another day of the office kind of deal. Yeah, that's yeah. like uh, three, four, five uh, years salary for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. That honestly, that was probably what really accelerated my investing. I, I'd say the one thing. Actually, the first house really accelerated my my investing career. I mean, <clears throat> I bought that house for two twenty five, or sorry, two eleven at the time. I put about thirty five thousand into it and sold it for four forty five. So that kind of positioned me to be able to buy that duplex in Hamilton. Um, like Rob was saying, you kind of buy where you don't want to live to afford where you live. I kind of did it backwards. I went into a higher market, um, so I ended up finding a duplex that was off market. It was uh, close to an estate sale. The lady was, uh, you know, kind of had to live in a retirement home. They had to sell. So I ended up buying off, off of her. It was a quick sale, quick close that they wanted. So I was able to get a pretty good deal on it. Um, essentially, we were going to go in and turn it into a triplex, but we had, you know, pretty rough neighbors that I wasn't even allowed to go onto the side of their house to even do any construction work or like the roof or anything like that. They're just constantly monitoring it, waiting for oh, you to try. You yeah, they, they called the city on me three or four times. And, oh, really? Oh, yeah. So it was a rough go on that part. But, you know, the market helped me a lot and having the construction knowledge and just the construction network. I know, Sandy, you were talking about building your A team. It's so important when it comes to investing. I mean, you can go out hire a contractor who can do that job for maybe $200,000 or someone who could do it for $300,000. That's really going to eat into your bottom line. And it was just simply sourcing out, you know, where do I get appliances from? Do I go to Home Depot or do I find them gently used on Kijiji? Or, you know, do I put vinyl flooring in or do I put linoleum that looks like vinyl flooring? Like those kind of cost savings, it doesn't sound like it adds up when you're only saving a couple hundred dollars here and there. But over, I mean, that house was 20, 2,200 square feet. It adds up really quick. So, and just knowing the market too, I think that really helped. It, it had two car parking. It had an attached garage. Being in the bottom of 
mountain of Hamilton. That's so hard to find. And it was really desirable when I turned around and sold it. So nothing selling in that market or like anything selling in that neighborhood right now is like, you know, sevens without a garage. They're like low eights now, even with this market, with the way Hamilton is with an attached garage. So yeah, I think it's just really knowing the construction side and building that A team. I think that's where I made a lot of the a lot of the money and a lot of the profit in that property. And then um, now you've decided to get your real estate license. How has that helped you grow? Oh, exponentially. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I got my real estate license. I had no clue what I was doing real estate investing wise. It I was surrounded by people who have never done it before. I was surrounded by people who were in construction, new construction. So they're always talking about flips, but never really did any flips in their lives. They're just like, oh, this property is distressed. You should buy it and fix it up and flip it. And nobody was running numbers. Nobody knew, well, like, what do the comps look like? Or, you know, what should I buy it for? Like, nobody knew that sense. So when I got into, you know, trading real estate and especially hanging out with Sandy a lot and seeing what Sandy was doing and other people around him, that's when the momentum picked up. Like, <clears throat> You, you never know what's possible until you see other people do it, right? Like I had a goal of buying one investment property five years ago. Now I bought four, four last year alone. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it, right. Exactly. It drastically changes what you know you can do. Like it's like, well, and, and it's almost like when people start, at least when I started, it's like the dream is to buy one property, right? One rental property. So, and that's always the one that you, you start with. And then just getting, everybody hits a wall and then they go, how do I continue? So just being around those kind of people, getting different ideas, because there's not just one path of how you can get to where you want to be in your goals, right? There's a, there's a bunch of different ones. And I've often had this, um, you know, the way that I did things is completely different than the way other people did things. And if I went back, I might even change the way I did it. Like, cause I started early on taking 50, 50 JV partners for most of the things that I was doing, except for my flips I did on my own. And then I talked to somebody else who did their, like the exact opposite, right? They didn't want to share in the profits of anything that they own long-term. So they only took uh, JVs on their flips. Right. And I was like, huh, yeah, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense too. But neither way is wrong. Right. It's just, uh, it's just, there's different ways of doing things and being around people that can expose you to all these different ideas. I think it's crucial when, especially when you're starting. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. I, I mean, I've always been about the bird projects and holding long term in these bigger multifamilies now. And I was like, this is the end all and be all. And this is the only way to invest. And then I had somebody on the podcast a couple months couple weeks ago now and she had bought a motel in Nova Scotia and she picked it up for like 800,000 and she was going in renovating it built a social media page for it, really branded it and then got an appraisal and it was 1.9 uh, on the exit and I was like wow like that's just that's... you don't have to worry about tenants you don't have to worry about you know rents hitting a cap or you know trying to get ten. it's just it's easy not easy, but it, you know, it's just a different model of investment. Right. There's just so much, so many avenues you can go down. There's no one stop. This is just how you invest. You can do it multiple different ways. Right. I think that's and why I like it. Like it's so enticing, especially for entrepreneurs. I don't know about you guys, but I get bored doing one thing for, for a little while and I want to switch to something else. Real estate investing gives you that, that opportunity, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk about some challenges because those are always fun, right? <laughs> you know, and just how you overcame them because that's part of it too, right? Not, not saying, okay, I'm out here. I hit this roadblock. I'm out. I guess, I guess that's what I could do in this whole real estate investing thing. So it was fun while it lasted. Someone else can take care of those tenants and toilets or contractor problems or challenges of uh, not being able to get funding or, whatever it is right but uh but a lot of people when they hit these they don't stop you didn't stop so let's hear about some of the challenges and how you got around them yeah um i i don't know i, I don't think we have enough time to go through all the challenges i've probably faced in the, no. especially the last year or so 
Um, <clears throat> one big one. So <clears throat> Sandy knows the story. Uh, so I ended up buying a, uh, a six unit in Hamilton. Bought it in January, closed on it in March, caught on fire in April. Um, so yeah, that was probably a big one. Uh, woke up three o'clock in the morning, de dead asleep to the fire department calling me and saying, Hey, are you the owner of, you know, one, two, three main street? And it's like, yeah. He's like, well, he's like, I'm the fire marshal. Your building's on fire. And the first thought in my head was, what am I going to do? What did I do? This is the biggest purchase I've ever made in my life. And now it's on fire. Um, but you start looking at the silver lining of things and, you know, it's, it's just something that you get over and it's, it's a hurdle. Now I look back at it and it's almost not, luckily nobody got hurt. That was the biggest thing, but you look at it and, you know, it's, it's silver linings that the insurance company is actually paying out for a lot of the renovations that we're going to do. So, right. I mean, mm -hmm. that was, that was a great upset. Um, that actually, you know, silver lining on, on that part. But I remember in the moment, I was like, did I do the right thing? Did did I buy, like, am I cut out for real estate investing? I don't know if I want to get these phone calls. Well, uh, <laughs> you don't know if you want to. I'm pretty, yeah. sure, I'm pretty sure you don't. No, you um, really don't. You really don't. But, you know, that, that property has had a lot of challenges to it. So, you know, we had the fire happen. We've been dealing with the insurance company for the last... Um, I mean, it'll be a year in April since the fire happened. We still haven't got paid out from the insurance company. Uh -huh. We still have units in there that are vacant, just soaked with water, um, you know, that are basically gutted. Nothing's happening within the buildings just sitting there. Um, so, yeah, that's been a challenge. And it's been a huge learning curve going through the insurance side of things and seeing how they operate. It's not just you call your insurance company. They say, oh, hey, it's, you know, you have... You have fire damage, well, here's a check and go do the repairs. There's a lot of loopholes you got to go through. And, you know, that building's considered heritage. So now we got to go through the heritage committee, make sure that we're getting replacements for the, you know, wood windows and stained glass and putting in certain doors. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's been probably the biggest challenge that we've had this year alone from like a, a JV side of things. It is interesting because like the red tape in that sort of area where, you know, I'm sure that the eyesore of the fire damage itself is a lot worse than, you know, maybe what kind of a, a, a new, more modern facade that you might put on it. Exactly. But yeah. I, I, I do understand the whole idea behind the, the heritage rules and things like that, but maybe they should be a little more forgiving in certain circumstances. Yeah. And now, so, I mean, we're trying to rent out one of the units is uh, fully renovated now that hasn't been touched by the fire. Um, so we kind of contemplated, you know, are we going to rent it out? Are we going to leave it? Um, so we're, we're trying to rent it out right now, bringing tenants in and they're like, well, you know, what's going on with the building? Is it being torn down? I'm like, oh no, it's like this unit's good. This is fine. This wasn't, <laughs> but uh, don't worry about the other side. Yeah. It's just slightly caught on fire and slightly charred, but um, and, and, and is like, is, is there like, is there smell problem or anything like that in the other units or like, how did you deal with that kind of thing? Yeah, surprisingly not like a lot of it was just water damage. So what happened was, uh, the neighbor property actually caught on fire, caught the side of our building on fire. Okay. And a yeah. lot of the damage was from water and then the fire department going in and busting down the doors, trying to get in, make sure that there was no fire anywhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a huge learning curve just going through the insurance company side of things. Um, there was a tenant in there that had literally two massive holes in his wall because of like the water damage and the fire coming through and he wasn't able to live there. So we're trying to, you know, get him into alternate housing and we're like, you have holes in your walls. Like it's dead of winter. And he's like, it's freezing upstairs. Like the boiler's not working. I'm like, no, the boiler's working. It's just there's snow coming into your living room. Right. So it was just dealing with the lawyer's side of things and like the legal side of things on that sense. And yeah, that's uh, that's been a lot of fun. Um, and have you got have you got a like a penny from insurance yet, or have you had to deal with it all your own up to this point? Actually, great question. So this is where I I learned because. We were shopping around for insurance when we originally got this property 
And I got recommended um, this one guy from um, an insurance company, I probably shouldn't say, but it won't pitch them on it. But uh, yeah, so I ended up connecting with him and he was like 80 or $90 more expensive than any other quote that we got. But he came highly recommended. So we ended up just going with him. And actually the policy covered if we couldn't rent out the unit for any kind of distress reasons, they would actually cover market rents. So when the fire happened, the adjuster called me and he's like, what do you think you can get for these one bedroom units in Hamilton? So he's like, send me over three comparables and I'll take the average. So I just went in, pulled the highest that I could find in the area. And they just, they cover the rents for the time being. They'll also cover utilities that have changed. So, um, since we have holes in our walls, they're covering up to 60% of the difference for our heating bills right now. So it's been very lucrative in that sense to, to look at it and go, well, it's not, it could be a lot worse. At least we still have a building and we have a Yeah, really Yeah, but as far as payouts for like getting the damage repaired, has any of that been taken care of? No, <clears throat> nothing yet. So yeah, we're still still going back and forth. And it's I don't know. Yeah, it's it's yeah. quite odd to me because I mean the insurance company is now paying for your vacant units, paying higher because there's holes in the wall and snow's coming in. Is <laughs> in their best interest to get this settled and paid so that you can start running things again on your own. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I never understand this stuff. That's you know, uh just, that 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 other like that policy the eighty eighty dollars more a month, I'm guessing? Or was it total eighty dollars more? Uh, yeah, it was eighty dollars a month more, and the other ones would not have had this, uh, this this part to it. Is that what so I, I? Yeah, I went back and looked at the policies, and so what, like what our current coverage is giving us is basically it's like twenty five or twenty six thousand dollars of uh, like rent coverage, where the other ones were only giving I think the the highest one was like eight thousand or ten thousand or something like that, so like looking at the policy from like every level, worst case scenario. I mean, if we didn't have that coverage and we had to still wait a year to get paid out, I mean, yeah, we the building would be completely underwater at that point financially. So if we were to mention them, this would be a, like, this would be a sponsored show. Yeah, yeah, that's, true. yeah that's, that's what I mean. I'm like, I'll call them right now and say, hey, you know, we have a sponsorship right now just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. just put the show on pause, and we'll be back. We'll yeah, be right back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that insurance is often overlooked by investors, or yeah. even the opposite of what you just said. They would a lot of investors go for the the cheapest and, and leanest policy that really doesn't cover much because it's fifty dollars cheaper, twenty dollars, ten dollars a month cheaper, right? I, I see that a lot, or you see people even giving their insurance people false information. Like I, I, yeah, I've seen that a lot with them. Um, illegal units where they don't even tell the insurer insurer that like it's a duplex legally, but there's a third unit in the basement hypothetically. Right. And yeah. they'll tell the insurance provider that it's only two units and they'll put a third in and super risky. Like the insurance people are not the city or the, or the other province going to deal with legalities of units. So you have to be upfront and honest with them. In my yeah. experience is, always the best way to go well yeah you don't even have a policy you're paying for nothing if you're, yeah. you're not going to tell them exactly. exactly what it is that they're covering yeah. people do that all the time i've seen that yeah. so many times um just 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 trying to stay away from the the whole truth because they think it's going to make it a cheaper policy right it's like, yeah. yeah exactly this is exactly what you're, doing. you're paying for nothing in that case versus paying you know ten dollars more for everything yeah as soon as they walk in say oh there's three units May as well rip it up. Done. Yeah. Well, that's why, um, the, that's why uh, you know, that's why insurance is important and getting policies that cover things like fire and that stuff is definitely worth considering because you just never know. Like that's nothing to do with your property, really. It's just the next door neighbor, right? And all of a sudden, the mm -hmm. place is on fire. There's just there's so many variables in real estate investing that you can't control. Well, and that's well, you, why. You, I, go ahead. Sorry. No, and that's why like getting the policy that covers all bases, I would rather pay an extra $80 a month to have peace of mind that if I get that phone call at three o'clock in the morning that a building's on fire, I'm covered. I'm good. Like there, yeah. the one building that we have, it's a four unit running. So it's got a, two illegal units in it. I, I 
told by adjuster or like the guy, the underwriter, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a six building, six unit building. It's a legal four unit. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. That's okay. We'll, we'll write the policy as it's structured like that. So yeah, I, I don't know. There's no reason to lie to them. Like Rob said, I mean, if they walk in and realize, well, oh, you have a legal unit or a legal two units, you might as well just not have insurance at that point. <laughs> like yeah. why pay for it? Well, that's a, that was a big challenge. You still got a smile on your face. So maybe let's try and get one more. See if we can. <laughs> <laughs> I got, okay, I'll give you uh, a bigger challenge than that. Let's yeah. Something yeah. Bigger. yeah. Something okay, bigger so, than that. Yeah. Yeah. I can give you a pretty bad one that, uh, that actually I'm still dealing with. And I mean, truthfully, I mean, I'll probably regret saying this after, after listening to the podcast, but I mean, yeah, mentally it's been very hard and challenging to get over in the last six, seven months. But um, yeah, I had good friends of mine that were uh, doing real estate flipping, did, did quite a few in the last couple of years. And uh, they had called me up the one day and they said, Hey, I got this place and uh, numbers look good. They sent me over the numbers, but they're like, the problem is we can't qualify for the mortgage on our own. Uh, we got too many properties on the go right now. So Numbers look good. It looked like it was going to be a quick flip. Um, so went on title with them. Ended up, uh, as we all know, the market ended up shifting pretty drastically um, almost overnight. Uh, so, you know, we were touching base. They said, yeah, you know, the project's almost done. We're ready to put it on the market. We're good. Don't worry about it. Don't stress. Um, turns out a lot of things were happening in the background that they weren't sharing with me. So... They were heavily underwater on the verge of filing bankruptcy, trying to scramble to pull any money, any which way they could. The property was on a private mortgage, uh, 15.5%. So $740,000 for those who can do the math pretty quickly. It's about $9,000 a month or so, I believe, uh, for a mortgage. So I ended up getting a call one day from the private level saying, hey, uh, you guys are four months in arrears. If you don't come up with the money, we're uh, basically locking locking the doors and uh, we're coming after you. So um, called them up and uh, yeah, it ends up turning out they're, they're filing bankruptcy. I'm on title of this property and now I have to come up with almost $200,000, I think, at that point out of the blue. Um, and then... To, to boot, they ended up putting a tenant in there on a 12-month 12, 12 lease. So I wasn't even able to sell the property at that point. So I remember calling the tenant at that point. And I was like, listen, uh, I'm in a really bad spot right now. This is the circumstance. Um, I have to sell this property. And basically, you need to find a place to, to, to go. And she's like, okay, I'll call you back. I was like, oh, perfect. This sounds pretty positive. She's going to move out. I'm going to sell this house. I'll cut my losses comes back to me and she's like, I want $50,000 to move out. And I'm like, 50,000, like, I don't have that money. I'm like, I'm not giving you $50,000. So and she'd only been there for a few months, right? Yeah. So the, yeah, she moved in in uh, like June or July. Um, and I think I was talking to her in like September, October. Mm-hmm. So basically I had had a good deal for her to go in for 50 grand like that. Yeah, <laughs> like You can go buy a house at that point. Like I'm not paying for, for, you know, for a down payment for this lady. So, um, yeah, honestly, I'd say that's my biggest challenge. E- even still, I mean, we're still, you know, we, we dealt with the whole bankruptcy, ended up finding the money to, to buy the house, put it into my name. It's just a single family house. So and definitely you, not- you own the house yourself now without them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I own the house outright. Um, yeah. I mean, I learned a lot in that experience. If I could go back and do it again, I would not sign on the dotted line for sure. That's why I'm not an advocate for flips at all. Um, that's just me. Too risky. Well, I mean, in general, you're not going to put tenants in during a flip, but no. I'm, I, so that was kind of, when you said that, that's like, why, why are they putting tenants in there? But, yeah. uh, Hey, you know, I, I, Especially if they're trying to cut their losses and get their money back to throw a tenant in there seems really, really odd. I mean, I guess it's just we're going to grab that first and last and that's all we care about right now. But I mean, you know, if you think logically, okay, it's ready to put a tenant in and you put it on the market and it should things still sell relatively quickly at the right price anyways. So, yeah, (laughs) it could have been more looked at that way. Um, Yeah, like you're right 
what are what, 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 logical decisions when you're that's being well especially if right. you're not maybe the decision maker in it too and you know yeah and yeah there was a lot of uh a lot of crazy things that happened in that situation where it was like you know they they put a tenant in there they didn't even put my name on the lease so it really like the lease was null and void at that point um yeah and then just getting caught out of the blue of like hey we're filing bankruptcy this this property's on you now and uh yeah good good luck <laughs> and also we're in arrears so um, yeah i don't know what you're gonna do but sorry <laughs> See, these are the kind of conversations that we like to have on the show because we've honestly had guests on here before. Uh, not naming any names, I guess you might hear it if you go back. I don't, I don't even remember who it was, to be honest. But, you know, we've said, oh, so what are some of the challenges that you've faced? And, you know, we've had a guest say, well, no, everything's been good. Like, haven't really had any issues to, up to this point, you know. Uh, but we've had tremendous success. No issues. None, you know, no challenges. <laughs> Financing hasn't been a challenge. You know, nothing has been. So we've actually had that answer before, but that's not what we're looking for because that's not the way it is, right? But, not all fires and uh, and you know this but, type of stuff, but but the, inevitably, if you're gonna have enough properties over your career, it's pretty likely you're gonna have a fire. I've had fires, um, not major major ones, but I've had fires like yeah, yeah. Like, like, like doesn't have to be a fire, but it could be something of that magnitude at least. Yeah, yeah. I've had fire too. It's not fun. No. Um, it's crazy uh, that many. I, that, that was one of the things I've realized over the just being in real estate all the time. Like the amount of things. Like I never had a fire growing up in my house. I just, I guess, I knew some people, but it it happens way more often than you than I thought it. Yeah, and like you say, like this one, the one that I'm thinking you know, didn't burn the house down. It was just like kitchen right. fire, right? Caused a lot of damage in the kitchen, but... Um, yeah, we had a fire. You and I had yeah, a fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so what do you think the biggest lesson you've learned from all this is? Ooh, great question. Um, I mean... <sighs> I, I guess I'll take the, the, the flip perspective. And uh, I mean, that was probably my biggest challenge. I think the biggest biggest lesson I, I learned from that is just kind of watch who you get in business with. You know, it mm -hmm. doesn't matter if they're, they're friends or family or anything like that. It's, you know, you really have to know who you're going to, into business with at the end of the day and just not ro rose-colored glasses. Like, right. you know, what are the situations going to happen if, you know, problems like this do arise? Like, mm -hmm. and something's going on in the background that you don't know about. Like, do you have the capital reserves to have a safety net if something like this happens? Can you find the money? Um, you know, I've just seen, especially in the last year or so, a lot of clients, um, friends, investors that have lost either a lot of money or have had to file bankruptcy or been caught doing burrs or flips because the appraisal is not coming back. You know, what's that worst case scenario look like? What happens if the interest rate goes up another two basis points? Mm -hmm. right? Like those kind of situations where, uh, I don't know, I start looking at and just analyzing everything from every different angle. You can't always know what's going to come out or always plan for every situation like a fire. But I mean, you can put some pretty good plans in place that if it does happen, you're in a lot better situation than, you know, I was six months ago getting caught off guard of we're filing bankruptcy and you know, you need to come up with $200,000. And I'm like, where am I going to get this money from? Like mm -hmm. I was making $42,000 a year, three years ago, four years ago. <laughs> like who's, who's got $200,000 just sitting around. But the one thing I surprised myself and you learn pretty quickly, if you're put up against into like a corner or a wall, you can make anything happen. You just, got to have the right mindset and the right drive, I guess, to, to make it work. So yeah, I'd say oh, those, that's my biggest lesson. Those sort of, those sort of things are, um, you know, I, someone told me this the other day, uh, that, you know, situations like that are in eventually in hindsight, you can look back and go, you know, what? I'm, I'm just building calluses, like mental cal calluses on my mind of how tough I'm becoming because I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been there. I've dealt with it. It's like, you know, you're working with your hands every day. Eventually you're, you know, you can, you can work longer, you can, you can do more things with them and they don't get cut as much. And so it's, you got to go through some challenges in order to uh, be
be able to take on the next bigger thing because that's right okay 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 i got it no it's <laughs> you got like it? yeah, it's okay. like working your way up in in the fight you know in the fight yeah yeah in the fight like, so I'm not sometimes gonna... there's always some there's always some silver linings as you were talking about that right there's always uh there's always something that i mean if you're open to taking the lessons away there's always something there some yeah people aren't i think you just you kind of have to have that mindset because if not then i mean i told this story in my podcast and i'll i'll tell it very briefly because it could be a long story but i ended up i tried to start a like an amazon business back when i was 20 21 and at that time i had like twelve thousand dollars i think in my savings account and uh over the course of just over a year i ended up losing all that money and i remember coming home one day and i was just like laying in bed sulking i was like man i, I lost all this money I, I don't know what i'm gonna do with my life now like basically my, my life was over and I sat there for a little bit and I was like, you know, nothing's going to change if I just lay in bed and, and sulk over it. Like, I'm not going to get that $12,000 back just laying in bed. No one's going to bail me out. So I just got to go back to the drawing board and figure it out and just wasn't for me or didn't do something properly. So let's figure out where it went wrong and just get back on the horse again, I guess. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So is this all, is all this type of fun stuff? Is that, is that kind of what happens in Niagara? Is that what's unique about uh, Niagara? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, just fires and, and bad flips basically. So to <laughs> try to like, yeah, just take you for everything you've got. Yeah. For the most part, I hear good things about Niagara. What's uh tell us what, what what's, what's the, what are the positives about, about Niagara or what do you see as like an exciting appeal of that region right now? Cause it's, it is kind of the, one of the few, like we mentioned Peterborough earlier in the show, it's about similar distance to Toronto. Um, probably similar price points, I would suggest too. And uh, it's got some appeal from an investment standpoint, for sure. Well, actually the funny part, so the two properties that I brought up that have been the most challenging and most problematic have not been in Niagara. They've been in other markets. Um, my Niagara properties are actually have been the best so far. Best cash flow, mostly, mostly streamlined, I guess, in that sense. But Niagara as a whole, yeah, I mean, you're an hour and a half from Toronto. Like the market there is just so untapped, in my opinion. Like there's mm -hmm. just so much opportunity and so much potential out there. Like you have Niagara Lake for wine country. So like if you're sitting in St. Catharines, Thorold, Niagara Falls, mm -hmm. like you're so close to Toronto, you're close, you know, tourist attractions, you're close to wineries. The price points out there from like compared to, I know Hamilton really well. So we take Hamilton, for instance. You know, you go out and buy a duplex conversion on the upper mountain, you might be 750, let's say. Well, you go into St. Catharines, you can be mid fives and having very, very similar rents in the rental market, right? So that's really nice. Um, you look at places like Welland, for instance, a lot of investors that I talk to, they're shying away from even Niagara as a whole. I don't know why. Like, you look at Welland, I bought a property uh, last year two blocks over a builder's coming in they're building like 1500 houses when i see that happening like where builders are going that's where i want to go they're building demand out there right so there's so many people retiring down to niagara that's just five ten years if you have a good outlook on it and long-term outlook niagara is going to be incredibly booming yeah and well and they're bringing a bunch of new business bigger bigger businesses going in there too building uh building uh, uh, warehouse space and things like that. And uh, it's an interesting market. Niagara is interesting because there's like five or six kind of cities within it. And they're all a little bit of their own, kind of bring their own uniqueness, right? Niagara and Lake and Welland are totally different communities. Completely different. Yeah, but really only a 20-minute drive away, right? So like yeah. Niagara and Lake, you get $2 million wine country. Welland, you get $400,000 bungalows. Or... Yeah. Like there's something on the market right now. It's a six unit for five ninety nine. Like, hmm. I, I I don't know. You just those numbers make a lot more sense than some of these um, more main markets, kind of like Hamilton, where everybody wants to be in. But you know, why not go to Niagara and buy a sixplex for six eight hundred thousand? So better cash flow for sure, um, which is tough to find. Uh, Tell us about your podcast because you've been running that for now for a while at least. Um, and game investing. Tell us about uh, that show. What that experience has been like, uh, you and Cole. Yeah, well, honestly, it, it's been a blast. We we talked about it for a little while, and um, 
I was really skeptical on doing it just for like the time restraint, but having people come on, I mean, like we had you on Sandy, Rob, I'd love to have you on too at, at some point. It's, it's having people come on and just hearing their stories and like seeing, like we talked earlier, there's so many different avenues when it comes to real estate investing. I, I don't know all of it. I'm long shot away from it. Having people come on and talk about their story, what they're doing. Some people are building, you know, garden suites. Some people are doing motels. People are doing rent to owns, burr projects, Airbnbs, medium term rentals. Like there's just so much to it. And just having those connections with people too, right? If you want to look for investors or JV partnerships or just even getting knowledge for yourself selfishly and just blasting it out to the world. Yeah, it's, it's been a really fun experience and glad I did it. I mean, no monetary value, just completely, um, yeah, just getting a fountain of information. And I mean, that's probably why you guys started this too. I mean, started this podcast at least. Yeah, absolutely it is. And, uh, and well, I, well, <laughs> I don't know if we've had really any like financial gain from the podcast other than just people, you know, reaching out to us, right. And making the connections. So, yeah. uh, at first it was absolutely that just starting to want to hear from people, right. And what they were doing <laughs> selfishly, you're right. Selfishly, but being able to put it out there. So, um, that's great. Uh, we're, and you know, I guess people can hear it on iTunes, Spotify, all those places. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spotify, Apple music, um, basically anywhere you get your local podcast. <laughs> and it's called it. end game, end game investing. Yeah. End game investing podcast. So, um, yeah, it's kind of neat. I mean, you hear like even stories, um, you can probably relate to this a lot, Rob, of like people investing even overseas um, in like some of these like Caribbean islands, Mexico, Dominican, Costa Rica, even um, like just hearing those kind of stories too, it really opens up your eyes of like, I, I could potentially buy a vacation property, have it pay for itself and have a place to go in the winter or the summer. Right. So, right. And I see a lot of people that I, I'm going to say came up with in, in real estate, like sort of started around the same time in the same circles and just seeing them do all that kind of stuff. Right. They're investing in overseas pro projects and properties and, and, uh, and bigger and better like hotels and all that kind of stuff that you're talking about. So just seeing like really these people have huge success and is very exciting. Right. And they've been able to do it all just by, by going their own way in whatever caught their attention and learning from each other, like we've been doing. So I think that this is a maybe sort of, you know, still the beginning of your journey anyways. Right. So uh, there's a lot more to come. Definitely. So is. Speaking yeah. of that, what uh, what do you see? Like, where's your business going in the future? What are your big plans? Oh, great question. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, for now, we're we're really sticking with like the bigger multifamilies, apartment buildings. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of listeners are probably understanding or at least know about you know CMHC's MLI Select program. It's just a very lucrative model, so we're just going to continue to run with that for the time being. I don't know. I mean. Passion project of mine is uh, always doing um, some kind of like short term, like motel, hotel type style. Um, not anything local. I want to do something kind of overseas uh, in that sense, like some kind of Caribbean destination of, I don't know. I just always, I had such a passion for marketing that I feel like I would go down that route. But uh, yeah, definitely short term is going to be just focusing on doing a lot of uh, JV partnerships. Actually, Sandy and I are putting together, I guess this is a good spot to kind of kind of pitch it or selfishly plug it. But uh, we got MRN Capital Partners coming up where we're just going to help help average people or, you know, normal people that maybe do, don't have investing knowledge or maybe the A-team to, you know, get them into real estate investing and just kind of make thriving millionaires and help them in whatever their goals are, putting their kids through school, paying off their mortgage sooner, or, you know, just having a comfortable, more comfortable retirement in that sense. So that's kind of big, 
big passion project that we have coming up. And Sandy, I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit, but I know you're excited about it for sure. Yeah, good, good, uh, good call. Uh, before we end the show, um, definitely wanted to get that out there. Uh, Sandy doesn't talking. plug anything unless he's told to do it. So I, I, know. No, that's, I just like pass the mic over to him. <laughs> we are excited about that. Helping it, and the, that's the real goal: is helping everyday kind of non-investors become investors and helping them maybe buy one or two extra properties that they wouldn't have done otherwise. And um, if that's someone like you or someone that you know, um, then we'd love to chat with them and see if we can help them out if it's a fit. Um, McKayRealtyNetwork.com/slash thrive that's going to be the link so um you can go there and check it out and uh we'd love to chat and learn if uh, we're good fit very cool guys um how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out and learn more other than yeah. you know if they want to reach out to you Cody. yeah <laughs> me specifically <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, probably the best way is probably like call or text, uh, 289-213-5738. You can always follow me on Instagram. Um, got a lot of good content coming out there in the next couple of months. Uh, it's Cody Smith underscore MRN. Um, but yeah, probably call or text is probably the best way. So beautiful. All right. Cool. And we're going to put your contacts in the show notes too. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, they can go there. Um, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? All the regular social media channels uh, <clears throat> usually find me at it's Sandy McKay, or they can email me Sandy at freedomreps.com. People can reach me at Rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. They should also check out our new website, pointbreakhomescr.com. So that one's up now. Go over and check out. You can see what we're doing down here for our build projects. Um, thank you, Cody. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing all this stuff. I know it's not easy to to uh, to come on and, and talk about all these things necessarily, right? But uh, thank you for sharing it all with us. Hey, no problem. I mean, I've been excited to come on the show. And uh, when I got asked to, I was nervous and excited at the same time. But hey, if I could bring some value and especially my failures and opening up that can of worms, hopefully it helps somebody down the road. And uh, yeah, it's much better doing that then uh not coming in on all well man i'll tell you what like just being candid that's what we want right we want to show that you can have struggles and still you know succeed right doing this so that's this is exactly what we want to share with people and show them hey you don't stop you know oh my god there's a fire now i'm out i'm just done i can't deal with it i gotta get this insurance money and that's it I'll, I'll go back to work and yeah. just forget this whole thing ever happened. Right. But, but uh, for those that carry on and like you said, there's silver lining. Most of the time there is, I, I've had all kinds of um, ups and downs in my real estate investing career so far. And they've always led me to something better. Right. If, if, if uh, the adversity has the silver lining, like you say, so uh, this is an important message. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks. You've been listening to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. And we hope you've been inspired to take control and live life on your terms. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And don't forget to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.